studying uh, Psalms 39. And um, as I was reading it, it's amazing because the Lord knows what he's doing. I mean, if you guys see, you know, you guys know that. And uh, God is so good because um, there's a lot of things that I've been going through and uh, just pondering these last few weeks and even months, you know, and I've really been asking the Lord to change my heart, change my heart. And as you ask that, the Lord brings you trials and, and um, those trials can be for a day. They can be for a week or they can be for a month. But um, like my brother was saying here, it produces a character, you know, and, and that is so true. And um, I, I thank God as uh, we pray to him and we ask him for his will to be done in our life. God's going to do a work and um, he's going to make you into that man and woman that he wants you to be. It may not be what we want to be, but it's what God wants us to be. And um, in that, it was just, uh, for me, just a blessing to to uh, be able to, to read this. Um, can we all uh, turn to Psalm 39, please? Okay, verse 1 in Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end and what it is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths and my age as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but a vapor. Selah. Surely, every man walks about like a shadow. Surely, they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord... What do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. It's a beautiful psalm. Uh, just to give you an introduction on this, uh, David seemed to have been distressed when he wrote this psalm, and upon some account or other, very uneasy. For it was with some difficulty that he conquers his passion and composes his spirit himself to take that good counsel which, we ha which he had given to others in Psalm 37. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him without fretting. While as many of you would know, it is easier to give the good advice than to give the good example 
of quietness under affliction. In reading the commentaries, they really didn't give any occasion for the conflict David was now in. They said perhaps it was the death of some dear friend or relation that was a trial of his patience, and that suggested to him these meditations of morality, and at the same time, it seemed to he himself was weak and ill, and under some prevailing distemper. His enemies likewise were seeking advantage against him, and watched for his halting, that they may have something to reproach him for. Thus aggrieved, he felt wrong, offended, injured, troubled, worried, and disturbed. Psalm 1 through 3, um, I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. To paraphrase that, he was saying, I was fiercely determined to keep myself from rebelling or complaining against the Lord in spite of the extremity of my plight, which is distressed condition. I vowed to muzzle my mouth as long as I was in earshot of unbelievers. I didn't want to give them any excuse for questioning the providence of God. So there I was, dumb and silent, with no outlet for my suppressed emotions. But it was of no use. My heart was red hot with indignation and perplexity. I couldn't understand why the Lord was allowing me to endure such overwhelming grief. The more I nursed my bitterness of soul, the greater inward pressure became. Finally, all my pent-up feelings burst forth in questioning prayer. Now, um, there's so much uh, we can learn from David. Uh, this guy, I mean, David is awesome. You know, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And um, this guy was, you know, he loved the Lord and... Um, he wanted to do everything to please him, you know, everything that, that uh, he lived for was to please the Lord. Um, he wasn't a man pleaser. He, he was a God pleaser. And um, the psalm and the example David was in regard to controlling the tongue is awesome because the Bible says in James 3, 8 that no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It also says that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. With our tongue, we bless and curse God. You know, with one hand, we can be praising God, and with the other hand, we'll be bringing ourselves shame. It brings uh, glory to his name and uh, shame to ourselves. You know, the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And with this said, uh, my question to, to you guys is, um, how are we doing in that aspect of controlling the tongue? Um, are we using it to edify or to execute when we talk to people? Um, are we encouraging them or are we knocking them down? Are we loving our children, or are we provoking them to wrath? 
Are you loving your wife or your girlfriend? Or are you critical and criticize everything she does? Are you bringing glory or shame to our Lord's name? Are you living for heaven or for hell? There's no gray areas. It's black or it's white. Now, the tongue we know is, um, the Bible says that in Matthew twelve thirty four that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, more than being a matter of the tongue, it's a matter of the heart. And... Um, Jesus, he, he was the greatest physician that ever lived, you know. And if we struggle in that area to um, not bring glory to the name of God in spite of our trials, then um, we have to come to our physician, to our Savior, and ask him for a heart transplant, you know, because that's the business that he's in. He, you know, he, he can um, give you a new heart, you know. If you struggle with the words that you speak, if you're not loving, if you're not edifying, if you're real critical, then um, I would question myself. I, I, I would ask the Lord to examine my heart, even as we speak today, as we sit here, and um, ask him to um, give you that new heart. In Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, his word says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now if the Bible says that no man can tame the tongue. Does it mean. It gives us the right. To have Tourette's. And just. Blast out all kinds of cursings. Or, or just uh, stuff that isn't going to. Glorify God. It, it doesn't. You know it, it doesn't do that. You know and. And. Um, what we have to do is um, find out who can tame that tongue. You know, the Bible says that it's an unruly evil when you're walking in the flesh. But God can tame that tongue. He can give you the power to, to, to maintain it, to lock it up, to cage it up. To, uh, he can give you the power to not say nothing and close your mouth. You know, and that's, that's who we serve. You know, if you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior then you're a Christian and the Bible says to be holy just as Jesus Christ was holy. Ephesians 5.1 says to be imitators of God as dear children. We want to be like our father. Paul says to imitate me just also as I imitate Christ. David was a man who had accomplished so much in his life. He defeated uh, Goliath. He was king of Israel. He was, Jesus Christ was born through his blood. And also he was considered to be a man after God's own heart. And with that, with that in mind, we can see how he was able to bridle his tongue and not sin against the Lord in this occasion. Uh, verse 1 says, I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. Now, right off the bat, he purposed 
not to say anything, you know. He, I mean, he already said, you know what? I said, I'm not going to do this, you know. Um, he resolved in his heart, you know, and, and um, that was the first thing he did, you know, knowing um, that people were probably talking about him, that he was in a trial, that he wasn't going to, he already de determined that he wasn't going to bring shame to the name of the Lord. Not in this case. And um, the second thing that we can see in that first verse, he says, I will guard my ways. What that means there is that he's going to take heed or observe to walk circumspectly. He's going to um, just be careful in what he does. And, and that is one thing that, that we have to do. We, we always have to be guarded, you know, because when our guard is down, not that we're not going to talk to anybody, but we got to have that guard up because you never know who's going to, who you're going to encounter or what people are going to say to, to just catch you off the wall. And, um, he already purposed, you know what? I'm not going to say nothing. I'm going to guard my mouth. And, um, the reason for that, because he said he didn't want to sin, you know, he didn't want to sin against the Lord. And, um, because he knew who God was. He had that relationship with them that didn't want to bring shame to his name. You know, there's a lot of times where um, we're Christians 24-7. You know, it's not like we come here and, and we leave and we're not Christians, you know. The life that we live is a life that is a higher standard than the world lives you know we we're christians you know it says to be imitators of god and we're to imitate god you know no excuses you know no excuses so if, if we're falling short which we do every day we have to really examine ourselves and, and ask lord um give me the power give me the power to control my tongue give me the power not to sin um he purposed that he didn't want to sin against God. Um, a lot of us um, don't have that conviction. You know, sin, as Manny was talking earlier this morning, that you lost sensitivity to it. And it's nothing that we should take lightly. Um, sin will destroy us. You know, you, you start um, start with the tongue and, and see just uh, what kind of havoc it can create and, and just the... the the snowball effect that um, takes place after that. You, you tell somebody a, one bad thing and there it goes, you know, before you know it, marriages are broken, families are falling apart, um, people are fighting, you know, they don't want to talk to each other. So we really have to um, consider um, our tongue. He says that um, he was going to put a muzzle while the wicked were before him. And the tongue, it speaks of, of, of great sins like sparks of fire, ill word, Ill word spread that do great damage. If believers utter hard words of God in times of depression, the ungodly will take them up and use them as a justification for sinful courses. 
you know, the world is always looking, not just the world, uh, even uh, people in the church are, are always looking for, um, for, for your shortcomings, you know, rather than um, helping a brother out and, and praying for somebody, you know, people in the world and everywhere are, are looking for your failures, you know, while that guy, uh, he claims to be a man of God, but I heard him saying this, or he was doing this, or he was listening to this, so... We really have to be careful in that way. Um, what David did was, during his circumstances, he prayed. That, that, that's how he was able to overcome this. Uh, Psalm 141.3 says that he prayed to God to set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, how many times... Do we want to lash out at our family, non-believers, wicked people, when they have something against us? If you sit among them, you're going to see that bad company corrupts good character. And that's biblical. That, that's in uh, Corinthians. Instead of bringing out the best in you, it's going to bring out your worst. So we, we have to be very careful in that. Verse 2, I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. He was strictly speechless as if he had been tongueless. Not a word escaped him. You know, be very careful in, in uh, venting your feelings. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine eleven says, a fool vents all his feelings, but a, a wise man holds them back. James one twenty says to be slow to speak. It says because uh, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing or meditating, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. There's a Proverbs, and I, I really like this. Uh, for those of you guys that like to talk a lot out there, it says this. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Now David's inward thoughts produced an intense, intense mental heat. The door of his heart was shut, and with the fire of sorrow burning within his soul, it grew unbearable with great heat till he couldn't take it no more. And then he spoke, but he cried out to God. Be careful what you say. Your words can have a long-lasting effect on a person, on a person's life, and your words can ruin a person. I want to share a story with you guys, and maybe you guys have heard it. Um, it's a little story I read, and um, for the longest time, I've always tried to find this story in one of the books that I have, and I could never find it. And uh, just last night, God was good. You know, he allowed me to find it like within uh, two minutes. But I kind of changed it around a little bit to just kind of relate to um, to the tongue. It says, there once was a lady 
who had a husband named Rick. A husband very apt to be thoughtless and careless about doing what she was saying. One day his wife said to him, Rick, you are so careless and inconsiderate that every time you do wrong, I shall drive a nail into the post to remind you how often you offend me. And every time you do right, I will draw one out. His wife did as she said she would, and every day he had, he had one and sometimes a great many of nails to drive in, but very seldom one to draw, to draw out. At last, Rick saw that the post was quite covered with nails, and he began to be ashamed of having so many faults. He resolved to be a better husband, and the next day, he was so good and industrious that several nails came out. The day after, it was the same thing. And so on for a long time, till at length only one nail remained. His wife then called him and said, Look, Rick, here is the very last nail, and now I'm going to draw it out. Are you glad? Rick looked at the post and instead of expressing his joy as his wife expected, he burst into tears. Why, said the wife, what's the matter? I think you would be delighted the nails are all gone. Yes, sobbed Rick, the nails are gone, but the scars are there yet. They remain. And you see, a lot of the times, you know, whether we're, we're joking or we're not, you know, we're very critical. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. It's never our fault. And we have to be very careful in that because we can say we're sorry, but the damage is done. The damage is done. You know, the Lord will forgive you. But um, we're talking to, to our significant other. You know, we're talking to our children. And... Um, we have to really consider that, that, that their hearts are going to get calloused, you know, and, and it's just going to be a matter of time because if you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it, sometimes it's irreparable, you know. So we need to um, ask the Lord truly to give us um, just love, to, to be sensitive, to be compassionate, to be understanding. Like the, the Bible says, to dwell with your wives with understanding, that's what we're to do. Uh, verses 4 through 6. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you had made my days as handbreadths, so the length of your hand. And my age is nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but a vapor. Selah. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. In other words, it says, uh, verse 4, we could not in faith pray such a prayer. For God has nowhere promised to let us know 
to let us know when we're going to die. Those are the secret things that belong to him. But what we can pray for is, Lord, give me wisdom and grace to consider it and to improve what I know concerning it. So this says, and this really is what I, I really wanted to talk about more than anything is that it's evident that we're all going to die. You know, every one of us here, you know, we're going to have a physical death. And it's evident that our life is but a vapor, you know. I mean, it's here today, gone tomorrow. Like um, on our study on Wednesday nights, you know, we're going through this exact same uh, passage, you know. And um, life is so short. It's real, real short. And um, knowing that death is evident, what are we going to do with this knowledge? Our life is but a vapor. Our time is short. What are we going to do with it? If if you knew that your days were numbered, Ray, you got 10 days to live. Howard, Sean, you have uh, 25 days to live. You know, whatever the days would be, you know, only God knows that, that you had so many days to live. John, what would, what would you do? I mean, what would be the important things? Really, I mean, would it be um, working, you know, so much so so we can just, you know, have the toys or, or to live a, a certain lifestyle because, you know what, we want to have a better car than them or a better house. Um, I don't ever think that there's ever been somebody on their deathbed that said, you know, if I can work 10 more hours of overtime, I would have did it. You know, no one ever said that, you know, what they're going to say is uh, they want to be with their family, you know, above all with with uh, their wife, with their children. You know, we have to redeem the time that God has given us. Life is precious. Life is very, very precious. And God has given us that gift of his grace, he's given us wisdom, he's given us eternal life, and he's blessed us. For some of us, ha- we have families and we have children, and um, I know that the Lord has really been ministering to me uh, just these last couple of months. I've really just been asking the Lord to change my heart, and um, in reading these, uh, the Wednesday night study on James um, one of the verses that said uh, in James four fourteen, it says, you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. So the other night I went home and uh, Wednesday we had covered this verse. The following day I got to the privilege to read this psalm. And the Lord was really just ministering to me. You know, Rick, um, you're not old, but you're not young, you know. And life isn't guaranteed to any man. And um, God has blessed me with a a beautiful family, a beautiful wife uh, that supports me, that loves me unconditionally. Beautiful children. Um He's blessed us with with a, an, an awesome church, uh, an extended family, 
And um, I really started to ponder that night, um, what's important? What's important in life that the time goes by so quick that you're going to pour into? Um, working is something that I got myself into. You know, I made some bad decisions, uh, financial decisions, and now I'm kind of stuck. So I have to work a lot. You know, so when I say I, I work a lot, it's not because I like to do it. I love my family, and I would prefer to be with them. But um, it's something that I have to do. Um, God has... Uh, blessed us with a real good job and my wife gets to stay home and I praise God for that. But at the same time, I see my kids and my wife. I want to spend my time with her. I want to spend my time with my kids. I really, really do. And the other night I was just, uh, it was late. I got home at about 11, 15 and, um, I was just looking at my kids and, uh, Man, I just started sobbing, you know. I've never, ever, ever in my life had cried like that. And um, just so you guys know, I used to never cry. Uh, you know, when I came to the Lord, I, I did, could remember not crying for 15 years easy. You know, but when I came to the Lord, God just really started softening my heart. So um, that night, I, I was just looking at my kids and and man, my heart was just broken because I want to be with them. I want to be with my wife. I want to be with my kids. I want to be there. I want to hold them. I want to tell them that I love them. I want to spend time with them. And, um, you know, we've been getting involved in the ministry and we've been really busy and, you know, I, I, I think, Lord, am I sacrificing my family? Am I sacrificing my marriage? But I know that, that God isn't going to call any of what, one of us here to the ministry and ruin your family. You know, we don't serve a God like that. Um, I know that God has uh, given me the peace that my family would be taken care of. But at the same time, I want to enjoy them. I, I really want to just redeem the time that I do have with them and to be able to, like I said, just hold them, lay with them, you know, talk to them, laugh with them. Um, our house is fun. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, praise God that there really isn't strife in our home. And it's only because of him that, that we're able to have those blessings. And um, as we honor God and glorify Him, He's going to bless us here. So we have to ask ourselves, um, in the short time that we're here, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, are we putting God first above everything? Because our life is short. We're going to be standing there before Him. You know, we're going to be giving an account to Him. We're going to... I'm going to be right there, man. It says, you know, everything is naked before his eye that I'm going to give an account. And, and um, that's kind of scary. You know, it, it, it is, you know, but, you know, that's, that's who we serve, you know, is God. And he's going to require that from us. You know, life is short. So what are we pouring our, our, our life into? You know, what matters? What really, really matters to us? You know, 
What should matter is the salvation of our family, of our fathers, of our mothers, of our children. And that's it, you know. Before, I have a, a son who's uh, going to turn 20. I wanted him to go to the best schools and um, did whatever I could in, in my power to, to provide those opportunities. But when we were saved, none of that mattered anymore. It, it, and it doesn't. What I would want for my son is to love the Lord. To serve Him doesn't matter. I don't care what he did, you know. I'm not going to... doesn't matter what he did, you know. As long as his, his heart belonged to God... Because in the end, that's what we're put on this earth is to glorify God, to bring him glory, to train up our kids in the ways of the Lord. So when they grow old, they will not depart. And we have to really just understand that. We have to understand what God's will is for us in our life. Because if we're living for our will, yeah, you know what? I read that in the Bible and, you know, I would want God's will in my life. But... What are we doing to to know God's will? You know, we have to, um, we got to sit at his feet. We got to be in his word, you know. A biblical knowledge is very dangerous because if you don't have the wisdom to apply it to your life, then it's not going to profit us nothing, nothing at all. I know some people that know scripture, but their lives are in chaos. It's a shame. It's really a shame because like my brother Manny says, a saved soul, but a wasted life. And that is so true. And we have to realize um, it's about the Lord, you know, just submitting everything to him. It's just like, Lord, it's yours, you know, and how do we submit? You know, we submit by, for one, saying, you're the boss. I'm not. You know, that that's the first thing we submit by honoring our wife and putting her above us for the longest time. And the Lord's still dealing with me because I would say I do love God and, and I want to put him first. But right next to him, I put myself, you know, myself right underneath the Lord. And, and God has really just been ministering to to me in that area where like, that's not your place, Rick. You know, while it's below my wife, that's not your place. Below my kids, that's not your place. Below my friends, your your place is on the bottom. You know, that's where my life should be as I'm submitting to God. It's, it's, it's your ways, not my ways, Lord. You know, we're his vessel. And if that's where God wants to place us, in a place where we're going to just let his love shine, then... That's where we go. That's where we go when we submit to God. Verse 7. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Apart from you, I have nothing. The Lord is self-existent and true, therefore worthy of all confidence of men. And that is true. Um, 
that's our only hope, guys. Um, if uh, we want our lives to change, if we truly, truly want to be transformed, give God a chance. Truly, truly just purpose in your heart and, and just resolve today that, you know what? I don't care what's going on in my life. I'm going to put my hope and my trust in you, Lord. Because that's what it's all about. It's not about us. We can't fix ourselves. I can guarantee you that if you truly, truly gave your heart to God, your life, everything, that you're going to see your heart transformed before your eyes. And I see a lot of people that come into the church and I praise God for what he's doing in their life. You know, the friendships that you make and just uh, what God has done, you know, because we can't take the credit for it. We, we can try to be obedient, but it's God that's doing the work. He gets the glory. We praise him for our marriage, for our children, uh, for allowing us to, to share his word. It's not us. It's God working through us, you know, and... Um, even in studying for this, I don't have an education, you know, high school, and um, neither did the the apostles, you know, the disciples, you know. But like his word says that these were untrained men, but they're spent, they spent their time with Jesus. And if we spend our time with Jesus, it's going to allow us to be those fathers, those husbands, those wives the employee, the friends that only God can make, the servants to always want to live for Him. Verse 8, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. The New Living Translation says, Rescue me from my rebellion. For even fools mock me when I rebel. Now Jesus Christ is the only one that can deliver us from our sins. You know, Matthew twenty twenty eight says that he gave his life as a ransom. And no one else can save you. Nobody else. Not, uh, not your money. Not your wife. Not your children. No one. They can bring us comfort. But they can't deliver us from the sins that we've committed. And there's so much freedom when you finally confess your sin. It's awesome. You know, because whether you want to believe it or not, your sins are forgiven. Every sin that you've committed, as long as you've repented and you've given your life to the Lord, every sin, I don't care what it is, it was nailed to that cross. And the sooner that you can accept that, there's going to be so much freedom in your life. You're going to feel like there's been a burden lifted that only God can give. He's going to give you that joy. And it's so beautiful to uh, to know that, that we do serve a God that um, loves us unconditionally. I mean, he, he, His love is unconditionally. I think uh, as humans, we have conditions in our lives, but God doesn't, you know. He... he, he doesn't care what you did. He doesn't care who you are. You, you can be rich. You can be poor. You can be single. You can be married. God loves you the same. And um, I would really just encourage you guys to um, to know the grace of God because we serve a God that is full of grace, mercy, 
and is all about the truth. That is who we serve. There's no lies in him. He, he can't lie. His word is truth. And we have to know that. We have to read it. We have to he heed it. We need to apply it to our life. Don't make me the reproach of the foolish. Non-Christians are very critical and their eyes are watching you. Be careful. They are quick to point out their, your faults. So are your children. <laughs> I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. To paraphrase this, this is what David is saying. You know how I have kept quiet since the trouble struck because I knew it came by my permissive will. I'm sorry, by your permissive will. But now I am asking you to remove your chastening hand from me. I am exhausted under your reoccurring blows. Verse 11. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you rebuke man for iniquity. You make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor. Selah. When the Lord, when, when Lord you correct a man for his sins with various forms of discipline, he wastes away like a prized garment when it's eaten by moths. It is clear that we are all transient as a vapor. So, you know, our life is like it's saying, you know, it's here today and gone tomorrow. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent of my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner. All my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I may regain strength before I go away, and am no more. Psalms 56, 8 says, That God, we serve a God who's very personal, that, that really cares for us. And, um, you know, he knows you all too well. You know, you, you guys heard the scriptures that, you know, he knows how many hairs you have on your head. You know, he knows your every thought. You know, it, it's he that directs your steps. And um, it also says that he holds our tears in a bottle, you know, and that everything we do is written in his book. And that's who we serve is a God that, that is, um, is there, you know, whatever uh, grief, trial, sorrow, whatever pain, whatever illness you may have, that God cares. And um, to the point where David says that he holds those tears in a bottle. Who's going to hold tears in a bottle? God is, you know, to man, it may sound foolish, but that is how much God values us. He values our life that he didn't want it to perish and he offered his life for it. And we, we can never forget that. Let that be our motivation that he exchanged, exchanged life for death. Um, 
like you guys heard it said that he paid a debt that he did not owe and he paid a debt that we could not pay. In closing, we can see uh, three things. Uh, how David relates the struggle that was in his heart between grace and corruption, between passion and patience. Two, he meditates on the doctrine of man's frailty and mer morality and prays God to instruct him in it. And lastly, he applies to God for the pardon of his sins, the removal of his afflictions, and the lengthening out of his life till he was ready for death. Father in heaven, Lord, we just come before you, Father. Um, just want to just thank you, Lord, and, and just pray now, Father, that um, your word, Lord, would go out and touch the hearts, Father God, of everyone here, Father. I pray, Lord, that, that you would challenge them, Father, to examine their hearts. To pray, Lord, that they would live a life, Father, worthy to be called your son, Father God. Just help us, Lord, in all areas, Father. Find the enemy, Father, as he wants to come against us, Father God. He wants to discourage us, Father God. He wants to um, lead us astray, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue, Father God, to use every person here, Father God. Give them boldness, Father God, to proclaim their faith, Father God. Give them courage, Father God, to step out in faith, Father. To do those things, Father God, that you call them to, Father God. For your word says, Lord, for him to know to do good and doesn't do it is sin, Father God. So help us, Father God, when you're pressing our heart, Father, and you're prompting us, Father. Help us to be obedient, Father God, and take that step of faith, Lord, and be committed to do your will, Father. I thank you for this night, Lord. I lift up our families once again, Father, and just ask, Lord, that you would save them all, Father. I thank you, Lord, and I love you, and I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.